you would take your Bibles and turn to the book of Philemon. Philemon is a tiny little book right before the book of Hebrews, right after the book of Titus. And while you're turning there, I just want to say thank you for the opportunity to be in this pulpit once again. Uh, Kinsville Baptist, as Brother Ken said, is uh, where I grew up. Laura and I were married here. I was ordained here and called into ministry here. And uh, Kinsville is very special to my heart and uh, means a lot to our family. And I just uh, want to thank you for the privilege of being here this morning and just sharing God's holy word. I appreciate Brother Kelly for calling me and, and asking me to come and preach in his absence. Thank you for giving your pastor a sabbatical. Uh, having been in the ministry since 99, uh, full-time ministry that is, I really entered the part-time ministry in 97, but you know, the ministry is not part-time. Uh, so, uh, but full-time ministry per se since 99, I understand the need for a pastor to have a sabbatical and and to get away for a little bit and refresh and to study God's Word. So I just uh, commend you for that. And uh, I love Brother Kelly and Miss Brenda dearly. Uh, Brother Kelly is like another father to me. Many of you know I spent many of Friday nights in his home with hanging out with Sean and Heath. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, but we, we, uh, they're very dear to our hearts. And I just want to pray for Brother Kelly and his precious wife, Brenda, now. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for the ministry of Dr. Kelly Burse, the countless lives that he has touched in the 27 years that he's been here, but even before he got here, Father. And Father, to see his influence upon my life and the many men that have left Kentsville Baptist Church to go pastor a church or be a missionary to serve you somewhere out of the ministry, Father. We thank you for him. We thank you for, for Brenda. We thank you for Sean and his family and Heath and his family. And Father, I thank you for Kinsville giving him the sabbatical, that he can be gone and be refreshed and be renewed and spend deeper time in prayer and Bible study with you in time of relaxation. Father, I pray this time of sabbatical is glorifying to you and edifying to him and, and Brenda. May he come back on fire for you and renewed and refreshed, Father, as he continues to lead this great church. And continues to bring honor and glory to you. We ask these things in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. A few weeks ago, my mom came to visit. Now, my mom's probably getting nervous because I'm talking about her, but I'm not going to do anything embarrassing uh, to her. But uh, she and dad had always desired to go down to Charlotte and visit the Billy Graham Library. Anybody ever been to the Billy Graham Library in Charlotte? Some of you have. And of course, dad never got to. Dad was called home to heaven before then, but he's seeing uh, the effects of the Billy Graham ministry from a different perspective, from the glories of heaven. But uh, we went down that Saturday to spend the day down there at the Billy Graham Library. It's something I always want to do as well. And I said, well, let's, let's go down and spend the day at the Billy Graham Library. And if you've never been, let me encourage you to go. Because it's not about Billy Graham. It's about Almighty God. And to see what Almighty God has done through the ministry of Billy Graham is just fascinating. To see the millions upon millions of lives that have been impacted for the kingdom of God because of one man being obedient to his call, God's call in his life, is this phenomenal. But what really impressed me amongst that is you walk in and the word of God is everywhere. You walk in that barn that you probably have seen on TV and those rafters have got scripture written on it. And in every room you go in, there's about four or five scriptures on the walls. And you see the importance of God's word that has been placed upon the life of Billy Graham and also upon his family as well. But also the importance of continuing to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And we know that what the Bible says in Romans 10, that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And that's evident there at the library. And I don't know if you realize this, but since 2007, when that library was open, uh, I read something there that told me that tens, over 10,000 people have come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ through the ministry of that library. And if you've never been, I encourage you to go. Because the last thing you do as you go through the tour, the journey of faith, they call it, is you're presented with the gospel of Jesus Christ clearly and openly. And people have been saved. Tens of thousands of people have been saved just through that library. And as I was taking that tour, I thought this. What a tremendous legacy that Billy Graham is leaving behind because he was obedient to God. Now, Billy Graham is still alive. His health's not good. Uh, he's, he's going blind. He's going deaf. But he's still serving the Lord. And he's actually writing his next message right now. Because they say, they told us that as he gets up every morning, they have someone that comes and reads the word of God to him. And he is talking about what he hears that day. And they plan on producing that. So even after Billy Graham is gone, he's going to leave a tremendous legacy for Almighty God. Think about Kissville Baptist Church. It wasn't too long ago we celebrated 200 years. I was able to be here for that. And what a joyous day of celebration that was. And out here in the Welcome Center, I was looking at some of the pictures of years gone by and just seeing what God has done. Kissville Baptist Church has got a tremendous legacy of impacting people's lives for the kingdom. I am one that has been impacted among many. You see, I want to talk to you this morning about leaving a legacy behind that will bring honor and glory to God. A legacy of transformation. You say, wait a minute, we got 200 plus years. Yes, but your job's not done yet. God hasn't called you home yet. And you're not done until you enter into the glories of heaven. Several years ago, they did a study, a survey, and they asked people that were over the age of 90 this question. As you look back on your life, what do you wish you had done differently? And there was many answers, but three of the top answers were this. One was they wish they had risked more. Another one was they had wished they had spent more time in reflection upon their life. But listen to this third answer. They wish they had done more to leave a legacy, something to pass on to the next generation. So I ask you this morning, what type of legacy are you leaving upon this world? When we think about legacy, we think about things that we leave behind. Yesterday, I had the privilege of doing a funeral for one of our church members. Tomorrow, I've got to do another funeral for for, uh, another man. And those men are leaving a legacy behind because they're no longer here. They're in heaven. So what kind of legacy will you leave when God calls you home? Some people think a legacy is all about money. We spend a lot of time and a lot of effort going to see a lawyer and writing up wills, which you should. You should plan for the future and plan for your family when you're gone. And people think it's all about the money that I'm going to leave my family. So I need to work hard today and spend all my time just focusing on making money. Some people think it's about investments. Being invested in the stock market, which is pretty shaky. Bonds, things like that. Some people think it's about property. What kind of uh, property am I going to leave my family? Do I have a big piece of property they can build a house upon? Or do I have a beach house? Do I have a, a mountain house that I can leave my family and they can go and enjoy that vacation? Some people think it's about things. You know, when people die, they, they want special things from their loved one. There's nothing wrong with that. Some people think it's about how many children you have or how many grandchildren you have. And all that's important. You see, it's significant to have children if God blesses you with children. It's important to leave an inheritance for those children. Leave an inheritance for your family when, they're, when you're gone. The Bible tells us to do that in, in the book of Proverbs. 
But the most important legacy that we can leave behind is the legacy that God has worked through our lives and used us to impact someone's life for all eternity. Jesus Christ calls us to leave that everlasting legacy. He desires that we live in such a way that our life is submitted to Him that through our words and through our actions, our lives are impacting the people around us. That we're not just speaking words that people forget about. We're not just doing actions that people forget about. But think about this. If we don't leave a legacy like that, ultimately we're being disobedient to God. God has called us to live in such a way that He is honored and glorified. So how do you leave a legacy of transformation? This morning we're going to look in the life of the Apostle Paul, one of the great saints of the faith, and see the legacy of transformation that he left behind. As we look in the book of Philemon, Philemon, Paul is writing to a man by the name of Philemon, and it's concerning another man by the name of Onesimus. Paul was a prisoner in Rome, and his brother in Christ, Philemon, was in Colossae, and he's writing him a letter concerning that human link between the two, Onesimus. You see, the details aren't exactly clear, but we do know this. It appears that Onesimus stole something from Philemon, and he fled to Rome, probably hoping that I can just blend in with the crowds, no one's going to catch me there, I'm going to be on my own, I can do what I want to do. Well, God had another plan. By the hand of God's providence, he encountered the Apostle Paul, and Paul shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with him, and he came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And through that, we see the legacy of transformation in the life of the Apostle Paul. So if you're able, if you would stay with me in honor of reading God's holy word, let's look at what the Apostle Paul says here in Philemon, verses 10 and 11. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but is now profitable to you and to me. Precious Father, we thank you for your holy and powerful word. Father, we thank you that we can turn to your word and we can find truth to apply to our lives. And this morning as we look at these two verses, I pray that you just speak into our hearts through your Holy Spirit and your living word about the legacy that we will leave behind. Father, we thank you for the legacy of the Apostle Paul that is still living on today. He's in heaven, but his legacy of transformation is still impacting lives today because of how you used him. And Father, I pray that we desire to leave that type of impact on this world. That we desire to live in such a way that you are honored and glorified with our lives. May you speak into our hearts. And as has already been said and prayed, may we leave here different than the way that we came in because we encounter you today, Jesus. We encounter the moving of your Holy Spirit. And I beg of you, Holy Spirit, please empower me and preach through me. We ask these things in your precious name, Lord God. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As you think about leaving that legacy of transformation behind, there's two things I want you to see. And the first thing is this. If we're going to have a legacy of transformation, we must share God's transforming power. We must share God's transforming power. I mean, that's kind of a given, isn't it? If we want to impact people's lives, we have got to do something that we have an influence in their lives. So therefore, we must share God's transforming power with others. It's clear in verse 10 there. The Apostle Paul says in verse 10 that he did this with Onesimus. It says Onesimus was his son. Now, this wasn't talking about his physical son. This was talking about his spiritual son. In other words, he had the privilege of leading Onesimus to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It said that he had begotten him. So uh, Paul is kind of like his spiritual father. At some point along the way, Paul and Onesimus came along together. The Lord brought them together, and, and Paul shared the great transforming power of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Onesimus repented of his sins, and he gave his life to Jesus Christ. 
Now remember where Paul is. Paul's in prison. And yet here he is in prison and he's still sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are we so faithful as the Apostle Paul? I mean, think about it. What if we were thrown in jail? You say, well, I'm not going to do anything that's criminal. (laughs) You keep serving the Lord, one day it's going to be criminal. Are we not getting there? I mean, look what just happened in Kentucky. Our dear sister who went to jail because she stood on God's word, took a stand against what society says is marriage, and God says, no, it's sin. And she was thrown in jail. It is coming to a day where Brother Kelly or myself or other pastors, Christian pastors will stand in God's word, and they'll say what we say is criminal. One day, I believe in America, we will be thrown in jail for our faith. Will we be so faithful as the Apostle Paul to continue to share our faith? What about at your workplace? A lot of businesses nowadays say you cannot put a cross on the wall of your office. Now, this is your office. You go in there and people have all sorts of things on the walls of the offices and things that are very inappropriate at times as well. But they won't let you put a cross up there. They won't let you put a copy of the Ten Commandments up there. But you can put all sorts of other stuff. I've got people in my church that tell me that they work for Duke. You know, down there, Duke is a big monopoly up here. Uh, is it Sentara still? Sentara is a big monopoly up here. At least it was when I, when I was here. You know, Duke owns about every medical facility down there. And Duke has told them, you can't have anything on your desk, you can't have anything in your office, religious. No Bibles, no, no crosses, nothing like that. No Bible verses, or you'll get in trouble. But, but if you've been in the hospital, you hear how people talk. You see what happens in hospitals. You see the, the things that go on. But they want to push Christianity right out the door. Th- think about, you know, uh, in, in the schools nowadays. You know, our students in colleges and high schools and middle schools. It's fine for Islamic Inman to come into a school and present Islam and the doctrines of Islam and have the kids quote these things. Did you not see this in Tennessee? And was it in California? Was that the other one where this happened? And they say, that's okay. And the school board says, oh, we slipped up. It won't happen again. The damage is already done. And yet you try to bring a Christian into a public school today and they might as well just burn you at the stake. They want to get Christianity out of the public schools. They're doing a pretty good job of it. Will we be so faithful to continue to share the gospel in our schools today? What about among our family? People say, well, family, you don't understand. You're my family. My family is this hard to reach. Family is some of the hardest people to reach, people say. That's true to a degree, but also they should be the easiest. Because think about this. They know you better than anybody knows you. They've seen you with warts and all. But think about how they saw you in the past and what God has done in your life to save you and to transform your life and how they see you today. They can see where God took you and saved you and where he's brought you today. They see the true transformation. That's why it should be easy to to witness to our family, to tell them about Jesus Christ. Are we so faithful to continue to share God's transforming power with our families? What it comes down to is a question. Are we going to share about God's transforming power or are we going to be ashamed? Of God's transforming power. You say, that's a little harsh, isn't it? Friend, Christianity is black and white. There's no gray. You know, know, our society says truth is relative. You say, what does that mean? I believe that carpet's red. You know what they'll say? I'm right. Because that's what I believe. That's a bunch of hogwash, isn't it? But that's what they say about truth today. No, truth is based on God's word. And either we're going to obey God's word or we're going to be disobedient to God's word. And God's word tells us to be faithful to share the gospel. 
Or are we going to be ashamed of the gospel? The Apostle Paul wasn't ashamed of the gospel. He, he lived out what he wrote in Romans 1.16. Look, look at Romans 1.16. It says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Paul knew what it was to be faithful. Paul knew what it was not to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he knew the power that was behind the gospel. Look what it says, the power of God to salvation. Because when we share the gospel, and understand this, it's not us who saves somebody. God saves them. But we can share the power with them so they can be saved. Paul was not ashamed to share about the power of the gospel because he knew it was for everybody. Wasn't this for a certain race? Wasn't this for a certain socioeconomic class? Wasn't this for a certain nation? The gospel is for everybody. It wasn't too long ago we celebrated the anniversary of 9-11. And you remember when 9-11 happened? The things that were going on, how people were reacting. Now granted, our churches were full, weren't they? <laughs> that didn't last long. But look how people were treating Muslims. They wanted to, to kill them. They wanted to burn them at the stake. They wanted to do anything they could to hurt them. Now, you may not like me saying this, but it's the truth. Jesus died for those Muslims just like he died for you. Just because you don't like somebody doesn't mean God doesn't love them. Jesus desires for all to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. When he died upon the cross of Calvary, he didn't die just for a certain group of people. He died for all. And Paul knew that. He wasn't ashamed to share the gospel with anybody and everybody he came across. Paul knew the power of the gospel. And therefore, he shared it with Onesimus that day in Rome. And he saw Onesimus' life change for all eternity. He saw right before his eyes what he wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a what? He's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now get the impact here. Before Christ, you're one way. And after you get saved, you get that new nature. You're a new creation. Before Christ, you are in your bondage to sin. You have no choice. You're going to sin. But when you get saved, you know what Romans tells us? Those chains of bondage are broken. You no longer have to give in to the temptation to sin. You can say no through the power of the Holy Spirit. Before you were saved, you had no peace in your life. But Jesus brings the peace that surpasses all understanding. Before you were saved, you had no hope in your life. But now we have hope, don't we? This is not all there is. As bad as this world's getting. And look, don't be surprised. Jesus said it's going to get that way. Go read Matthew 24 and 25. Jesus is, I believe he's coming soon because of the things that are happening in this world. But we have hope, don't we? Because we, we don't have to worry about it. Because we're on the winning side. But without Jesus, there is no hope. Before you met Jesus, there's this one place you were going. And trust me, friend, you don't want to go there. A place of eternal separation from God. A place of torment day and night. The place of hell. You say, wait a minute. This world says hell is a place to party. Have you heard that, that idiotic philosophy? Hey, man, we're going to live it up in hell. We're going to drink. We're going we're gonna to have, have sex. We're going to do drugs. We're going to have a party in hell. Look, the devil himself does not want to go to hell. He's going to go read Revelation. He's going to be tormented day and night forever. Hell is not a place to party. Hell is a place of eternal torment. Hell is a place where there is no God. But friend, when you get saved, oh glory, we get heaven. And heaven is heaven because Jesus is there. 
You see the transformation? That's part of being that, that new creation that God brings into our lives. Look, look at the picture here that we're working on. But Onesimus was no longer just a slave. But now he's Paul's son. Now he's Philemon's brother in Christ. Maybe that's where you are this morning. Maybe you need to experience this transforming power for yourself. You don't understand what I'm talking about between the old life and the new life. Well, friend, today is the day of salvation for you. Jesus Christ died on Calvary's cross to pay for your sins so you wouldn't have to. He took on the, the, the Son of God who was sinless. Took on my sins. Took on your sins. There on Calvary's cross. The Father turned His back on the Son. Remember when He cried out, My Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He couldn't look upon His Son. But why? Because He had my sins on Him and He had your sins on Him. And He died and He was buried and rose again the third day. He did it all for you. So you wouldn't have to pay for your sins. So you could have everlasting life. But friend, it's not automatic. It is something you've got to do. You've got to make a conscious decision to turn away from your sins and turn towards Jesus Christ. That's what we call repentance. And you've got to place your faith and trust in Him and in Him alone. You can't get to heaven on your own. You're not good enough. I'm not good enough. Nobody's good enough. You've got to be dependent upon Jesus Christ. Ask Him to, to save you from your sins and forgive your sins and give your life to Him so He can be your Savior and your Lord. See, you can't really share about the transforming power of Christ until you experience for yourself first. So take step one today. In just a moment, we're going to stand. We're going to have a hymn of decision. We're going to have an invitation. We invite you to come and you see Brother Ken and tell him, I want to be saved today and he'll be glad to pray with you. Talk with you about that. But it's got to start there. See, God has made it clear throughout His Word that after we get saved, (coughs) He expects us to go out there and share the good news of Jesus Christ. You think about the Great Commission in Matthew 28, that's clear. You say, wait a minute, it's the pastor's job to share the gospel. You know what? You're right. Wait a minute, it's the staff's job. You know what? You're right. It's the deacons, it's the Sunday school teachers. You know right? You're right. But understand this, it's your job too. It's not just mine. It's not just Ken's. It's not just the choirs. It's your job as well. If you are a child of God, God has made it clear multiple times that He expects us to go out there and share the transforming power of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, I don't have the gift of the evangelist. You don't have to. Some people are gifted as as an evangelist. But understand this. You've been called to do evangelism. And you have the Holy Spirit living inside you to give the power to do it. At Red Mountain Baptist Church, we have kind of adopted a phrase. Reaching our neighbors and the nations. And, the, and we kind of back that up with this passage. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Look at what it says there. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in, the, in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. When does the Holy Spirit come upon you? When you get saved. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you. And He gives you the power. Understand, this is the power that raised Jesus from the dead. This is the power that has saved countless lives throughout history. This is the power that is living inside you. God gives you the power that you need to do what? To be a witness. And look what He says, start. In your own backyard. In Jerusalem. But don't stay there. 
You go on to Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. You go on and spread throughout Virginia. You go on and spread throughout North America. You go on and spread throughout this world, which I know you guys are doing. We're we excited about what God's doing at Red Mountain Baptist Church. Our church has celebrated 134 years. But what's really exciting is this. In those 134 years, we are starting to see Acts 1-8 come to life. This year was the first year that I know in our history. Now, we don't haven't kept the best of records over those years. But that I know that our church, the members, took an international mission trip. Isn't that exciting? That's exciting. We sent nine people to Moldova. You say, where's Moldova? It's one of the poorest countries in the world. It's over there near Ukraine in Romania. And, and look, this is a big step for our church. Our church is a, is, is a country church. We average about 160 on Sunday morning. You know what it's going to cost to go to Moldova? Each person about $2,500. We've been, youth pastor and I have been praying about this for, for a couple of years now and just trusting God's timing on this. And, and the youth pastor, I wasn't able to go. He was heading up the trip. He said, Dave, I'm just worried about the money. I said, I said, look, God has clearly called us to do this. Don't you worry about it. God will come through. So we're talking about $25,000 roughly that we would need. We got just under $32,000 that was given towards this trip. We were able to take about $6,000 with us and give it to the churches there so they could help feed starving children. So they, had, they could sit them down at a meal and feed them and they could share the gospel with them. We, we partnered with, with a church out of West Virginia, Cross Lanes Baptist. Seth Polk's a pastor there. And we went, they sent nine, we sent nine. And in the, the 10 days they were there, they were able to go into some villages they've already worked in. Cross Lanes has been there before us. And we went to villages also they hadn't reached. The gospel present has not been in a certain village in at least 60 years that they knew of. In that entire trip, we saw about 50 children give their life to Christ. God's doing exciting things. God, you know, but you know, you got to trust God to do it. Look, he says that I'll give you the power to be my witnesses. Look, you know, we, we prayed, we, we've given. And you know what? God brought the means about for it to come. God can do exciting things. He gives us the power to be the witnesses that He's called us to be. You say, well, I'm a little intimidated. You know what? You do what the apostles did in the book of Acts. You pray for boldness, and God will give you the boldness to be a witness. Believe that God will give you the boldness, and He'll do it. You, you pray for, for, like us. God, we don't know how we're going to do it. We're just going to trust you. And look at the, the, the surplus of money that came in. We've already got a cushion to go back next year. We plan on going back next summer and working in those villages again. God will supply the power you need to be his witnesses. He's got your back. You ain't got to worry about that. He's going to take care of you. You don't have to worry about about where's this going to come from. He's already got it planned out. He just wants us to be obedient, to go and share. You say, wait a minute, Dave, you don't understand something. I pray for lost souls. Praise God, because we need to be on our face, doing battle on our knees, praying for lost souls. But it's not good enough. Wait a minute. I give to the mission trips that Kinsville Baptist Church does. Praise God. I give to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering for North American missions. I give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering for international missions. Praise God. We need to support our missionaries. We need to support the mission trips that, that, that you go on. But it's not good enough. There's more that God requires of us. He requires that every Christian be called to duty on the front line of winning souls to Christ. This week, ask God to give you an opportunity to be a witness. You know what? He will come through. 
Just open our, we need to open our eyes and see what He has in store for us. He will come through. Think about the impact. I mean, we just saw a perfect example, didn't we, not with Gavin? The people that stood that, that had an impact on his life. God used those people to bring him to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. God can do the same in your life this week that he can use you to have an impact on someone's life this week. All right, time, time for a little class participation. You ready? Just, I'm just checking to see if you're awake. Look to the person to the left of you. Of course, you look that way. Choir, y'all look that way. It's that left. All right, now look person to the right of you. All right? Now, no comments. You know, everybody looks good. But understand this. They may not have the same opportunities that you have this week to reach people for Jesus. Why? Because their paths are not going to cross the same paths of people that your path have crossed. God has set before us divine appointments. And we need to be obedient and be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and have our eyes open to see the paths that we will cross. Because you know what? We may be the person that plants that first seed. We may be the person that comes along and we water that seed a little bit that's already been planted. We may be the person that comes along and we put the last drop of water on there and that sprouts up into a harvest of salvation. Don't you want to be used of God like that this week? We need to be sensitive to that this week. Let me ask you to do something else. Discipline yourself and God. Think about your recent past. Can you honestly say there's someone in your recent past that you have planted the seed of the gospel in their life. Someone in your recent past, maybe where you poured a little bit of that water on that seed that's already there. Someone in your recent past where you've had the privilege of, of leading them to Jesus Christ. And if you can't honestly think of somebody, something's wrong. We need to get right with God. And we need to stop messing around. We need to get focused. We need to be surrendered and get serious about sharing the power of the transforming gospel. But let me warn you to do it the right way. Don't be like this barber I heard about. A man came in his barber shop one morning and he wanted to shave. And he sat down in the chair and he put the little gown thing on him. He lathered up his face and he pulled that straight razor out. And he said this. He said, are you ready to meet your God? <laughs> and that man took high-tailed out of that barber shop. That's not the way to necessarily do it. But you be sensitive and submitted to the Holy Spirit. And, and every day, you know, like Andrew talked about his time in prayer this morning, and you get up and you just spend time with God on your face before God in prayer and in His Word and be yielded to the Holy Spirit. And you know what? He's going to lead you in those opportunities, and He will give you the exact words to say exactly when it needs to be done. Several weeks ago, I have a retired minister in my church, and, and uh, he's, he's like a, a grandfather. Him and his wife like a set of grandparents to my to my kids, they're that close to us. You know, our family's up here. You know, we don't have family close by. And he's been a great mentor with me. I, I preached a funeral yesterday with him. And I'm doing another funeral with him tomorrow. And, and one day, he and I were going to visit this lady that had visited the church. And normally, when you walk up to somebody and you, and you talk to people, you kind of break the ice a little bit. And, you know, you ask those questions a little bit about their life and everything like that. But, but I just sense the Holy Spirit. Skip all that stuff. Go right into the gospel. And I did. And that lady, I'll tell you what, God, God had that lady's heart just right. Because she was sitting on the porch waiting. We pulled up in the driveway. She didn't know we were coming. She had dogs. She put the dogs inside. The dogs were barking through the screen. She went inside. She closed those windows. She wanted to hear what we had to say. And so I just went straight into the gospel presentation. And halfway in, a friend pulled up in the driveway. And I said, well, nice to meet you. Just talking to, to Melissa about Jesus. So I started back over and hit them both. Both of them gave their life to Christ that day. 
God goes before us and He prepares the soil of their hearts. But we've got to be obedient so we don't miss the opportunity. We've got to be obedient so we don't miss out on having an eternal impact on someone's life. We've got to share. Now here's the second thing we must do. We must believe that God can transform others. Believe that God can transform others. Look what it says there in verse 11. Who once was unprofitable to you, but is now profitable to you and to me. It says that, look, Onesimus was one unprofitable. He, he wasn't of any use. He was useless. But now he met Jesus. And look what it says. He's profitable. He's useful. Why? Because Christ changed his life. He experienced the transforming power of the gospel. And now he's useful to Philemon. He's useful to Paul. He's useful to Jesus Christ in the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You, you know what Onesimus' name means? You know what his name means? Profitable. A little play on words there, isn't it? But get the picture here. He is finally living up to his namesake, isn't he? He's finally of great use to God because he got saved. And now he can be used to spread the gospel. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 8 through 10. Now, we memorized, years ago, I memorized verses 8 and 9, but sometimes we forget about verse 10. But look, look at Ephesians 2, 8, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now, oftentimes we stop right there, don't we? But go on to verse 10. Look what verse 10 says. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, God created you. God saved you to do good works for Him. God created you. God saved you to be a witness. It's time that we start living up to our namesake. It's time that we start living up to what we were created and saved to be and stop playing games. Every day people are dying and going to hell. And we need to believe that God can transform people's lives. Paul knew what this was about. Think about the history of the Apostle Paul. Remember when he was Saul of Tarsus? His reputation? Having Christians thrown in jail, going and persecuting the church until he met Jesus. And Christ transformed his life. He knew God can change people's life. This Sunday night, we're starting a new discipleship study at Red Mountain. It's called When God's People Pray. And God is really doing a work in my heart about prayer. It's amazing to see what God's doing in pastors' hearts about prayer right now as I talk to pastors. And, and this, this movie that's just come out, War Room. If you, you haven't seen War Room, you need to go see it. You say, hey, that, that's a fictional movie. Yes, it is, but the biblical principles are dead on. But we're starting this series on prayer. And, and it's written by Jim Simler, the pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle. And it gives testimonies of how prayers work in the lives of the members of their church. And there's this one guy. He was a hairdresser to supermodels, the stars. And look, man, you think your wife goes out and spends a lot of money to get her hair done on Saturday morning. It ain't nothing. He would charge $5,000 for one hairdo. I mean, that's just, I'm sorry, that's just too much. But that's, that's supermodel money, you know? And there's a supermodel that was a member of the Brooklyn Tabernacle. She was saved, and, and she was witnessing to this guy. And he just kept blowing her off, blowing her off. And he got into the drug scene, got on the hard drugs. He got on heroin, and, and, and his life just went downhill. He even got to the point of trying to commit suicide. All along, if you know anything about the Brooklyn Tabernacle, yeah, they got a great choir, but that is a church of prayer. She had put his name on the prayer list, and that church was praying. 
And in the midst of his deepest, darkest despair, he called out to her. So long story short, he got saved. He's now singing in the choir. He's not doing hair for supermodels anymore. He's telling people about Jesus. God is in the business of changing people's lives. And we just need to trust him to do it. We need to trust him. I mean, think about what he's done in your life. He took us. We were once like, like Onesimus. We were once useless. But he saved us and he wants to make us useful to him by spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he wants us to reach out to other people so God can save them and make them useful. I mean, think about our God. Our God is a God who can take the drug addict and save him and turn his life around like with that man from the Brooklyn Tabernacle. Our God is a God who takes people that are forgotten about by society, that are thrown to the wayside by society and says, look, I love you. And he gives them hope. God can take the criminal that's on death row and save them in a prison ministry. And he can start witnessing to people there in jail and have an influence on their life. God can take that selfish husband that selfish father, and save him and give him a self-sacrificing love for his family. God takes the loss and gives him life. But have you ever, somebody, ever heard somebody say this? Well, you don't understand. Uh-uh. That person, he's too far gone. God can't reach him. Jesus can't change his life. You know what we do when we do that? We, we put God in a little box. And it's like we say, God, here's a situation. You come on out, God, and you take care of that for me. Now, you come on back in the box. And we come along in another situation. God, this is too big for you. I'll take care of this. Friend, my God does not live in a box. My God has no limitations. My God can and does transform anybody. Amen. We need to start believing that again. Because you know what? I hear Christians say that. Oh, they're too far gone. God can't even reach them. Friend, God can reach anybody. We need to start believing it and we need to start living like it. Have we forgotten what Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 says about God? Look what it says, Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to that power that power it works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus, to all generations forever and ever. Amen. We serve a God who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, all that we ask. But not just all that we ask, all that we think as well. You know, God has placed upon my heart some things to lead Red Mountain to do about our prayer ministry. But you know what? God can do even above and beyond that. God is a God of possibilities. Nothing is too impossible for God. God can reach the unreachable. He can, he can change people that we've given up on. And He does, and He does transform people's lives. You never know how God can use you to transform someone's life. True story. Years ago in St. Louis, a lawyer visited a Christian. Now, this isn't a joke. It's a true story. And he came by this Christian's home. He had some uh, paperwork for him to fill out. And when they were done, the, the Christian said this. He said, I've always wanted to ask you a question, but I'm a little afraid to ask. And then the lawyer said, well, just go ahead and ask the question. He said, I've always wondered why you're not a Christian. Well, that lawyer kind of hung his head. He said, well, I know enough about the Bible that it says that a drunkard can enter into the kingdom of God. And you know my weakness with alcohol. I'm a drunkard. And the believer said, well, you're kind of avoiding my question. 
And the lawyer stopped for a minute. He said, well, you know what? I can't recall anybody ever telling me how to become a Christian. And so that, that client, he picked up the Bible and he showed him the Word of God. Remember, uh, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. He showed him the Word of God, what it said. He shared the gospel with him. And that man, that lawyer, wanted to give his life to Christ. And that day, he was saved. You know who that man was? C.I. Schofield. Name sounds familiar, doesn't it? Some of you have got his name on your Bible today. He edited the reference Bible that bears his name. You never know the impact that your witness is going to have to transform someone's life. Think about it. If you've experienced a transforming power of Christ, you're excited. You should be excited about it. It's the most exciting thing that could ever happen to you. And you should want to see people experience it as well. You, you should want to have that burning desire to be on the front lines and letting God use you to transform people's lives. To be willing to put yourself on the line and believe that God can and does change people. This morning, God is calling each of us to a legacy. A legacy of transformation. A legacy of souls that have been impacted for all eternity. Right now, where you sit right now, the way you're living your life, what type of legacy are you leaving on this world? What type of impact are you having for all eternity? God is calling you to leave a legacy of transformation. A legacy is not just about money. Now, don't, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying don't plan for the future. Have a will in place. Take care of your family. But it's not just about that. Because you know what the sad reality is that? I've seen it enough over the years in ministry. Families bicker and fuss about that stuff worse than anything. I've seen families that fight about income and property before the person has even died. That's a sad state. But it's a reality, isn't it? But money doesn't change people. My legacy is my children. Praise God, God has blessed you with your children. But put an everlasting legacy in them and share Jesus with them. My legacy is in my property. It's all going to burn up anyways. What you worrying about? God desires for you to be used of Him to leave a legacy of transformation. Start today by surrendering to God once again and asking God, God, I want to be used of you to have an eternal impact. Yesterday, I told you we had a funeral to do. Standing room only. Man was 84 years old. He leaves a legacy behind. But understand this. Even at his funeral, his legacy was living on. God has placed upon my heart that at funerals to give an invitation. We had one saved yesterday. I know the staff prayed. I told mom about it. The funeral coming up. It delayed us getting up here, but that's all right. Because it was all worth it for that one that was saved. The staff prayed this week for our church that someone would be saved. Thank you for praying. Because God answered your prayers. You pray. I got another one tomorrow at 3 o'clock. But it starts by asking God to use us to transform lives. And then you start praying for those people. Let me give you another example of what God does. One Sunday night, a while back, we had a Sunday night prayer service. And we were interceding for lost people. Just, just pouring our hearts out to God for lost people. I had people stand up. If you've got someone on your heart that's lost, someone in your family, come down front. And we, and we laid hands on them and prayed for that person, you know. And we had one lady. Her name was Teresa. She got a hold of the altar of God. She began to weep. 
for lost souls. When was the last time we wept? We wept for lost souls. I mean, in control, be like a child sobbing for lost souls. Now understand this. Her husband is at home in the bed dying of cancer. And she's at church on a Sunday night for a prayer meeting. Not a lot of people come to prayer meetings anymore. But she's weeping for lost souls. And is begging of God for these souls to be saved. A few weeks later, her husband died. We do the funeral. Ten people got saved at her husband's funeral. Don't tell me God doesn't answer prayer. We need to be on our knees, fighting the battle on our knees before we ever get up to share Jesus with people. You've got a big altar up here. Maybe this morning you just need to get on your face before God and beg Him for the salvation of your loved one. Beg Him for the salvation of your coworker. Beg Him for the salvation of your neighbor. These rocks have names on them. And I believe, I remember right, you're praying for people to be saved. Don't forget about them just because they're down here. Start down here on your face before God and take it to your prayer room at home every day and beg God for them to be saved. God hears our prayers and God answers our prayers. But like I said earlier, don't you stop there. You go to them. You remember you've asked God to prepare you. Now you've asked God to prepare them. And go to them and you share the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ and you leave the results up to Jesus. You say, wait a minute. They, they will reject me. I, I, we have a new couple that's been coming to our church, and, and she was telling me that she comes from a, a rough family. And uh, she said, I went and prayed for my sister. That's, now, that's really out of her comfort zone. And that's really out of the box for her family. I mean, her family is, is rough. And her sister just kind of hung up on her on the phone. And she was a little disheartened. I said, look, you were successful. Because you did what God told you to do. You were praying for her salvation. Now, she didn't reject you. She rejected Jesus. But you know what she's also done? She's planted a seed in her sister's life. So you just be obedient to God and let God do His work. He does amazing things. We don't need to give up on God. We need to believe that He's still in the business of changing lives. Like I said earlier, it's got to start with your life being changed. It's got to start with transformation in your life. So maybe that's where you are this morning. Others may come. They may come and pray around this altar for lost people. may come and pray for themselves. But you need to come and you need to give your life to Jesus this morning. Brother Ken's going to be down front. You come you tell him, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ this morning. Friend, if you don't know Jesus, you are missing out. I've got plenty of time. No, you don't. Because you don't know what tomorrow holds. I could give example after example of that. But I won't get into it. Just know this. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. What legacy will you leave when God says your time on this earth is done? Lord Jesus, I thank you for the legacy of Kinsville Baptist Church. I thank you for the many men and women through the years that have impacted my life, Father. Sunday school teachers, choir leaders, chaperones, pastors, staff, many people that I love dearly. Some have gone home to be with you. But as I look across this congregation, I see a tremendous legacy. 200 plus years.
But now is not the time to sit back and rest on our laurels. Now is the time, more than ever, to be living that legacy of transformation. So, Father, I pray in this time of invitation that we just get serious about this, Father. We surrender our lives to you for fresh and anew today. That you burden our hearts for the lost. Lord, we know time is running out. Urgency is of the hour. But our mission is not done until you call us home. May we just get on our face before you and cry out to you for ourselves to be used and for the lost. Father, I pray for those that are lost this morning, that as we stand and sing in just a moment, they will come forward and give their life to Jesus Christ. I just pray you're honored and glorified in this time by our obedience, by what your Holy Spirit is now leading us to do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.